0: C. McBee went on a bit of an unplanned hiatus, primarily because I didn't have any ideas. And I realized, like, to have ideas, you have to have free mental space. So at the beginning of the month, I hurt my knee. Um, It just filled up with water. I did a judo practice. I didn't injure it. It just filled up with water. I went to a doctor, and he drained the knee, and he put in some stuff. He said, come back in two weeks, and he put in some more stuff. Uh, And then it still hurts. I still basically limp. So I've been limping for a month. That takes up a lot of mental energy, puts you in a bad mood. So I thought, ah, what I did is I collected a whole bunch of random thoughts. None of these really long enough to be an episode, but then I thought, oh, what I'll do, sit down, talk them through, record them, see what happens. Maybe there's an episode, maybe there isn't. I used to do episodes called randomitis, and that was just, yeah, a bunch of five minute clips that didn't. Amount to an episode on its own. They generally weren't connected thematically. But actually, since I just talked about a doctor, uh, I live in Japan. Uh, anyone who's watched any of the episodes or listened to any of the episodes knows that I've been in Japan for about 20 years. One of the more interesting things about Japan, I've had a very positive experience with doctors in Japan. Um, I got sick two years ago. I was in the hospital. My doctor was excellent because of the nationalized healthcare system. I didn't pay that much money because I had insurance. I actually got money back. I literally was out of work for a month and made a profit because I had employment insurance that I pay for. So salary insurance, I don't know what you'd call it, but basically I had insured myself for if I get sick and lose my salary, this insurance will cover that salary plus a little extra. I had insurance for the sickness, so I got that money and that covered all the medical expenses. So I basically made a profit off being sick. Now, I would rather have not been sick, but such is life. Since I was put in the hospital, I didn't get to choose my doctor. In Japan, you run into this problem regularly because you have to find the right doctor. So I now have a knee injury, a knee problem, and I'm old. So I'm thinking I have two choices. I can go to an arthritis doctor. Because I'm an older person and arthritis doctors must deal with old people's knees all the time. Or I can go to a sports doctor because it happened right after exercise, which I still try to do regularly. So maybe they'll understand better. In the area where I live, lots of old people, therefore lots of arthritis clinics. In the city, which is about an hour in some away, but it's a big city, they have more hospitals, more choices. They had a sports clinic. So I went to the very, very local clinic first. He was actually the first guy who saw me when I got sick. Now, I pulled up my pants so he could see my knee. It was all swollen and full of water. And he kind of poked it a little bit. And he goes, hmm, let's wait and see what happens. Which is 100% what I didn't want to do. I very much wanted to take care of this right away so I could get to the healing process, so I could get better, so I could get back to exercise. Then I was talking... So now I'm in the dilemma. I have to pick a clinic, not knowing the quality of the doctor. I don't know if they're even the right person because I have to make the choice. Really, I wanted that first doctor to recommend a knee specialist or someone that I should go to to get my knee checked. Uh, and he didn't. He's like, wait and come back. And I was like, I gave you 1,000 yen or 700 yen or whatever it is to just go in and talk to the doctor. Didn't get any medicine or anything. And then I'm like, okay, well, that's not what I want. I was thinking the old people's doctors might be a good choice because as I get older, I'm more likely to end up in there anyways. And the lifestyle I have chosen for myself, having done judo for the last 40 years, I assume arthritis is just on the docket. Like it's probably in there already. I just don't suffer from it. Or I've gotten so accustomed to pain, and this very much might be true, that I've gotten so accustomed to pain that I just, you know, kind of ignore the pain. Which brings up a a weird study I read. There's two. One, and it was about certain demographics and how they handle pain. And I'm Irish. It turns out gingers are more sensitive to pain. But then Irish people are less sensitive to pain. Which doesn't make sense because a lot of Irish people are gingers. I am certainly on the ginger spectrum. I was like, well, I don't, th- maybe I was sensitive to pain when I was young, but again, I've endured so much pain over the course of my life doing judo, getting injured all the time, that maybe I've just grown accustomed to it. But when they, what they did is they stick your hand in super cold water to, it hurts. And they see which demographic could hold the longest. Irish people held out a very long time compared to other groups. And they said to them, what do you do like when it starts to hurt. And then the Irish people all pretty much universally said, I just ignore it. So I just ignore my feelings. I just ignore the feelings I'm having, which to me was like, that's a very Irish answer to the problem. And uh, not to be even stereotypical, but that is how I handle a lot of problems. A problem comes up and I'm like, essentially like, I'm just going to ignore that and it'll go away eventually. Uh, That's how I'm going to deal with that. There was also another study with the same thing with pain. And if you swear, you can last longer. So if you put your hand in ice cold water and you say, oh gosh darn it, you have to pull your hand out because it hurts more. If you put your hand in hot, in super cold water and you go, fur, 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 and you say really bad words, uh, you can hold your hand there longer. So there's almost like a release of some sort when you swear. The funny thing was, it, the swear you made had to be taboo to you socially. So let's say I, I drop F-bombs all the time. The impact of the F-bomb is less for me. So if I stick my hand in the super cold water and I drop an F-bomb, it will be actually be less impactful than someone who doesn't swear very often because it's more of a, I guess, shock to the system. So you have to find a word that you feel is taboo that you should not say and then use that word when you put your hand if you want to endure pain. Or you could just be Irish and ignore it and just suffer I guess I guess it's just suffering you just allow the suffering to happen because life is suffering it's a very Buddhist philosophy when we really think you get down to sort of the core issues but I decided to go with a sports doctor because this was immediately following a sports injury and what I really really wanted more than anything else was steroids I wanted my knee to be injected with steroids and I was pretty sure the arthritis doctors, they might have some other solution they inject, but then it's not going to be steroids. I don't think they're going to go drop straight to steroids where I was like, oh, a doctor, if I can tell him like I'm not competitive anymore. So, you know, I don't have to worry about steroids showing up in my pee. Give me some steroids. So I went to the doctor. I did make the right choice. I think Uh, he was very good. He sent me to an MRI. Now, an MRI is a very expensive process in other countries, but as I said, a socialized healthcare, very good deal. I actually went to the MRI place the next week, and they were like, okay, we'll sit down. All right, are you wearing anything metal? Do you have any, like, do you have a brace on or anything? And I was like, no, no, no metal. Do you have any fillings? I was like, well, sh- I didn't think about that. I don't think so. I actually had all my metal fillings taken out and replaced with ceramic a long time ago, so I was okay there. So they put me in the MRI. Uh, MRI, they like... A lot of people get freaked out. You're in a tube and it's very noisy and it's very uncomfortable. Uh, I think I've now hit this peak point of any time alone is good time. So I actually, for the last like five minutes, because it's a 20, 30 minute process. He said, like, it's going to take about 20, 30 minutes when he put me in the machine. For the last five minutes, apparently I fell asleep, which I thought was okay. So it's going, but I'm like, oh, there's no kids around. No one's bugging me. Oh, this is quite nice. And then I drifted off. So they did an MRI and then I walked out and I got ready to pay. I got my health insurance card out and stuff and I go to pay and she's like, no. And because it's arranged through the clinic, it just becomes part of that process. So I went to the back to the clinic. I paid for an MRI 6,000 yen, which is probably like $50 American, uh, And that is, I know MRIs are expensive. The interesting part about the MRI building itself, it was about four stories high. And two of those stories, I believe, were just rooms of MRI machines. And they were just, you know, Ford Motor Company, the original Model T assembly line, running people through MRI machines all the time. They must be making so much bank. And it makes sense. Like, if you are rich enough to put together, let's say, 10, 15 MRI machines and then hire the staff to just run them all the time, you're making so much money. Because the government's paying 70% of it anyways. And you just make it as convenient and fast as possible. I had a good experience. Go back to the doctor the next day, give him my MRI results, He stresses me out. So he starts going through this and it's like layers of your knee and he goes, Oh, here's an abnormality. Here's an abnormality. Oh, this is not normal. This is not normal. Here's an aberration. Here's an abnormality. Here's a bone spur. Here's an abnormality. Five minutes. No exaggeration. He's saying, here's an abnormality. And I'm getting, each time he says it, I'm like, steal yourself. He's going to say knee surgery. Okay. Knee surgery is coming. This is, again, like arthritis, probably an inevitability on the timeline of my life. If I try to continue doing judo from now until I am no longer functional, five minutes straight of him saying, here's an abnormality. And then he looks at me and goes, better than I expected. So I guess because I've never had surgery on my knee, everything's technically in the right place. It's just clearly been beat up. He was like, oh, you know, yeah, there's lots of, it's really jagged, nothing smooth anymore, but it all works and it's all in the right place. So way to go you. And I was like, okay. So then he put another needle in with some more solution of some sort. uh, And then he gave me some sort of exercises to do. He told me not to stand up too much, but you know, uh, I have one or two teaching days a week. You have to stand up at the front of the class. I, there's no, no way you can avoid it. Uh, still limping. So I'm going back next week and I'm going to say, so he's had two needles in with some kind of solution, which I think was to make sure it didn't like the water that's in there didn't clump up or anything. Uh, and, and I'm going to just start whispering to him, sort of a, some subliminal Just go, steroids, steroids. I want, I want my need to have roid rage. I want steroids. Give me steroids. Uh, and then hopefully, because he said himself, if I give you steroids, it'll probably be healed in a week, but there might be side effects. And I'm like, dude, at this point in my life, I'm not particularly concerned about side effects. I might even find them entertaining. So that is essentially what set me on this hiatus of McBee going silent for a while. And it was because I, you get so self-absorbed you suffer so much pain. I can't think of anything to talk about. I don't have any view on current issues because you become more self-absorbed. I'm more worried about myself. So the only thing I could talk about was myself. And I was like, no one wants to hear that. But also if you stop long enough, you don't get back into the, the habit of doing it. So that's what I today is. Today is me forcing myself to get back on it and do it again so I don't lose that part. And just end up shutting down CMB because I hate when this is like a, a podcast just goes silent. But yes, yeah, so now we are going to dive deep into randomitis and see what goes. So I was talking to a friend of mine. Whoa. So you became a Republican temporarily. Got it. Oh, I wasn't ready for that. Uh, I think. The fact that I was still very pro-social services, maybe I haven't gone that far. I could, you could say I probably went further right than I am normally. I am a liberal Canadian. A liberal Canadian is probably, in America, the most socialist devil you've ever seen. But yeah, maybe. Uh, So... Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, Mr. Warmhands. We talk almost every day because we play video games together. And he brought up the question, and it had apparently come up on Reddit. And it was, if you commit a crime, that crime will never happen again. And so, of course, people all like, I, if I rape someone, then rape will no longer happen in all of the remainder of human history. If I murder someone, murder will no longer happen in all of the remainder of human history. And of course, everyone starts thinking about the most atrocious crimes that can be committed, and then talking essentially about the morality of, if I do it to one person, but that saves millions of people going forward, is that not worth it? Could I bring myself to do it? I think that's the conversation they're trying to have. It's it's essentially a morality one of, am I willing to sacrifice my morality for a moment in order to save people down the line? I immediately had the thought, in a different direction because this is to me the Batman problem because Batman uh, is a very rich guy and he dresses up in his suit and he goes around and someone snatches a perch, perch he He finds someone who snatches a purse and then he beats him up and he gives the purse back, but he doesn't really solve the core issues. So I was, my first thought was like, what you should actually I'd do. murder a pedophile if it meant no more murder ever, no problem. But that's So, Jade, I'd murder a pedophile if, I, if it meant no more murder ever, no problem. I actually understand. So what you're saying is you find the right victim to commit a crime to or on, and then that would stop murder. But I was thinking, uh, like, really, you could create a more systemic system because why doesn't Batman use his money to uplift society, Gotham City in particular. And I was like, what I should do is go into corporate America and commit corporate crimes, uh, tax fraud. So then all these corporations suddenly start having to pay their taxes, go into politics and start committing p- political crimes, like take bribes and stuff, so that all these polit- politicians suddenly become honest. And then if you have honest politicians and honest companies, I think the fundamental base of society, again, this is a very socialist kind of way of thinking on my part, would be lifted up because money would go into social programs, taxes would get paid, that money would be available for all those things. Then perhaps there would be less murderers overall anyways, because now people are not in a situation where they lose everything. they're not in a situation where they become desperate. I guess I assumed I'd go to jail. I guess I assumed I'd go to jail. That actually is a good secondary question, because if you go to jail, then you can't continue to commit the crimes. You have to actually plan out the crimes very, very well at first. But as we know, corporate criminals don't tend to go to jail. So that's almost even like a double whammy. Like, not only can I commit these crimes, I can probably commit these crimes and get away with them. Commit these crimes and get away with them and increase... Like, what I'm thinking is like the tide that lifts up everyone and then as you get so now you've fixed let's say a fundamental aspect of society then you could go commit the more visceral crimes i think the question originally people naturally focus on the visceral because they have to feel it but my first thought was like well what would create the largest benefit the most quickly and murder isn't actually it because If we're being really honest, there's a relatively low amount of murders in the world. And as we've moved forward in society, the number of murders and crimes is going down. I know news makes it seem like it's going up all the time, and you should be afraid all the time. But realistically, that's not actually what's happening statistically in the world. So what we need is to have the world improve. And if we can improve the world, then... The natural increase in social welfare will be another natural decrease to violent crime. And then, sure, when I get to my old, when I get, to, after I've done all this other work, I've done the, the social work, I've done the political work, I've done the, uh, the industrial work, that kind of stuff. Because, yeah, I would go and dump some chemicals and then if that never happens again, because that's essentially a crime, then these companies can't dump, dump their chemicals improperly. I could go join a company and then, you know, just commit a couple of uh, environmental crimes. Now people are actually probably going to have to take care of the environment because they have to do it properly. Uh, I would commit all those as quickly as possible. And again, probably no jail time. <laughs> just be BP is a very good way of looking at it. Uh, BP probably has an inadvertently committed murder. Because if you're dumping chemicals and it kills someone, that's murder. And then you could actually, again, commit a murder without actually the visceral part and get away with it and not go to jail. So you can keep committing these social pro crimes, which is weirdly what I'm going to be calling it. And then overall, the crux of society improves. So I've been streaming for a long time. I'm not particularly popular, but I'm okay with that because I actually stream primarily to capture video. So people come in and there's a very common thing on Twitch and it's trolls or scams. Eventually you'd be known as the last guy to do all these crimes. That's an interesting point because historically speaking, would they realize this guy committed these crimes and then it never happened again? So there was a connection or would they be like, this guy is so horrible and horrifying that society at large changed because he was so awful. Like you wouldn't be seen as the hero or would you? Cause again, if someone figured out, Oh, this guy commits that crime and this guy does this thing and that doesn't happen anymore. Like all of society changes. They might realize you were doing it on purpose to try to improve society. But let's talk about Twitch. Uh, you get a lot of people with scams. And the first one I experienced was, the guy who wants to help you grow. And what they do is they talk to you in this really buddy-buddy way, which I really, already very off-putting for me. And what they say is like, I'll get you more viewers. Uh, And what they probably do are just get some bots and get those to join in after you give them some money. I got uh, attacked by bots once and I got like 2,000 subs in like two minutes. It was ridiculous. But I've tried to figure out different ways to handle these so that it's still entertaining for myself. So... I put in my rules, if you try to sell me a service, I just ban you, but that's actually too easy and too boring. So then I started talking to them and they would always ask, what's your goal? So they go, hey buddy, may I ask you, have you reached affiliate yet? I'm like, yes, yes I have reached affiliate. And they go, so your next goal is partner? And then you go, no. Because they are banking on you want to make streaming your job. They want, you, they want to bank on you are desperate to become a famous streamer. And you need that audience. And this is your dream. And they can help you make your dream come true. That's how scams work. They feed on your deeper desires and dreams and wants. So when I say no, I do not want to become a partner, they ask why. And I say, oh, well, I use Twitch primarily to capture video for my podcast. And then they go, oh, but if you have a bigger Twitch audience, you'll have a bigger uh, podcast audience. And I go, oh, my podcast is huge, so I don't need a bigger audience. I actually don't want a bigger audience, and I don't want that much chat because I don't want to be distracted. And then they have nowhere to go because since your dream doesn't align with their, what they assume your goal is, they have no more thing they can try to dangle, no no carrot they can try to put in front of you to get you to give them money. So that worked. I essentially was saying my goal is not to grow and then they would have nothing to work with and they would just give up. Then I started doing the denial that I stream. And this could actually happen in chat in real time. So I was playing a game and someone came in, says, hey buddy, uh, can I sell you something or do you want more followers or all the stuff like that? And I would just look at the chat and go, I don't stream. And then they have to go through the uh, mental dissonance of trying to convince me that i'm doing the thing i'm actually doing so they'd go yeah you are you're streaming right now and you just look at it and go no i don't stream and they go well then how am i talking to you you're talking to me through the chat while you're streaming oh no i don't stream uh well how am i seeing the game you're playing i don't know i guess on the computer yeah because you're streaming oh no i don't stream and i just would hold on to the i don't stream and the frustration as because they now have to choose. Do I spend my time trying to convince this guy that he is actually streaming? Is he such an idiot? He doesn't realize what streaming is or do I just give up? I actually had one where the guy was doing it and he was like, no, I went. He sent me a link to my own stream. So twitch.com slash chunk beef chest. I bring my perspective to the world. I don't stream. And he, he dropped that into the chat. And, uh, my viewer at the time I only had a couple of viewers at the time. They started adding into this, into the chat. He doesn't stream. He doesn't stream. And then we just repeated that. Jay just put in the chat. I bring my perspective to the world. I don't stream. That's actually a pretty nice phrase. I might actually make that my tagline from now on. Uh, then recently. So I've done that one a couple of times. I think that might be the most entertaining one, but there's one more I want to try. I was joking around with a friend and he actually suggested this. I'm going to try this next time where they go, oh, your viewer count, your content is so good because they have to try to build you up. Your content is so good. Why do you think your viewer numbers are so low? And then I'm going to agree with them. I'm going to go, yeah, my viewer numbers are really low. I suck at streaming. I'm going to quit. And they go, no, no, you shouldn't quit. This is my prediction now. You shouldn't quit. You should you know, keep doing or do my system or whatever. And you go, no, nah, you're right. I'm going to quit. And then just hold on to the I'm going to quit and see what they say. I don't know if that one's going to work, but I do like personally... The denial of doing the thing I'm literally doing right in front of you right now as a tactic to stop these guys or waste their time. But I think, I think the one that's most entertaining for me is the I don't stream. So I think that might be going forward for at least for the next little while until I come up with a new idea how I handle these guys who try to sell me services or try to sell me followers. So there is a company in Korea called Pipuri. So it's P P U R I. So I'm assuming it's pupuri or Pipuri. Being Korean, I bet it's Pipuri. Uh and there's been a scandal recently. And it turns out that one of the keyframers or animators is a feminist. And oh my what she did is what I think a lot of animators do. She threw in misandrous gestures into the animation. Now I didn't know what this gesture was. Apparently this is a Korean thing. So this is why it was kind of exciting for me to learn about another culture, uh, another aspect of another society. There is a forum called Magellan. I think I'm saying it right that. It's not mega uh, It's Magellan, I think. And We support Magellan. your change, is what's on the screen right now. And there is a hand, and the hand is doing a gesture as if you were measuring something very small. You could say, oh, you know, it's only a couple of centimeters, it's only an inch. You would put your hands up, and you'd make like a little duck. That is the hand gesture. Apparently, this hand gesture in Korean is actually small penis. And these feminists are using it to attack men. And so this animator... This key artist for the anime was Dungeon and Fighter, Dungeon and Fighter Mobile, and Blue Archive. In almost individual frames, this artist, this animator, has been putting in these gestures. So I don't think it's this one. So uh, right now there's a big purple guy. He has two hands up, but I think this one here... His right hand is doing the pinching gesture. And then right here, there's another picture from a, maybe a different anime where he's also doing the pinching animation. So this company now has to go through all their anime and scrub through individual frames trying to find the pinching gesture to try to take them out So Studio Pipuri, I would really like to learn how to say that. So Studio Pipuri has been deleting all tainted videos after combing through their catalog and issued an apology for the feminist hand gestures saying that the key animator who was called into question for being a feminist will no longer work on their videos, which I really enjoy this because, you know, men have been doing this kind of stuff for years. And here's an opportunity. I don't, I guess if a guy did it and got caught, he would get fired, So if a girl does it and she gets caught, she should probably be fired too. But I don't know. Somehow the feminist fighting back in the exact same way is really entertaining to me. Here's the hands being circled, the hands being circled, the hands being circled. So like these characters all are pinching their fingers. It's really hard to see on the screen. That's hardly worth doing. So I'm interested to see where this goes and how much of this happens in the future. If you are watching anime of any sort. And that anime has animation that comes from Korea. Something to be on the lookout for is a small pinching thing. And you will now be seeing that you will now know you'll have a better idea that what you are seeing is some misandrist gestures. Did I say that right? Misandrist. I think I get that wrong all the time. Misandry. It's because we don't use that word enough because it doesn't happen. Misandrist. Misandrist. I should practice that. Misandrist. Because I'm now going to do my Andrew Tate style podcast where I attack women and talk about their misandros. But weirdly, I honestly quite like this. <laughs> I think it's because the animator is essentially, because the, the primary audience of anime, I think, cliche-wise, is the nerdy guys. And that's who she's like attacking and making fun of. She's literally taking the thing they love and putting this in it. And again, it's a couple frames. They're not really going to see it. But she's, she's kind of like doing a little shout at them. I'll be interested to see where this goes. So I'm actually going to follow this story as much as I can and see where this ends up. All right. And this is going to be the final story for today. And it was the Sailor Moon anime director Kunihiko Ikuhara has received multiple emails from a woman claiming that Sword Art Online and Sailor Moon were both her concepts and they were stolen. And this is actually a story that has come up a couple times in Japan. Uh, There's the Kyo Ani. So what happened was this guy said, I made this story you stole this story and you used this story yourself and you didn't give me any credit. So he went to the KyoAni studio, this was a couple years ago, and he basically lit it on fire and killed a bunch of people. He's on trial right now. He has shown no remorse because all he does when they say like, do you feel bad about killing people? He'll say like, do they feel bad about stealing my ideas? Do they feel bad about not paying me the money I deserve for having come come up with this idea? This is something I talked about on Ninja News Japan a little bit. And it was primarily because the fundamental concept as an idea is very broad. So we have giant anime robot and it has to fight other giant anime robot from a different planet. Uh, We have girl who transforms into a hero and fights monsters, but has to keep her identity secret. These are not original ideas Where the artists take them to, hopefully, is original, and that was what would make an anime special or interesting or something like that. But realistically speaking, the overall concepts are very broad. Uh, I tried to come up with an original idea for Montana El Diablo, and what I actually did was I'm going to take a lot of the tropes and throw them into a choose-your-own-adventure and then tried to make each decision go off on such a weird tangent, go so far into left field that every decision had a significant impact, but also it would maintain a certain amount of originality. But honestly, the fundamental ideas I came up with and used, uh, in broad strokes, all had been done before. And someone else could have claimed very easily that they were their ideas. And this is what the director is talking about. So Sword Art Online creator Reiki Kawahara discussed on Twitter just how hard it is to conclusively prove the originality of one's work. So a long while back, this is the message that they posted on Twitter, translated into English. A long while back, I received a message from someone claiming they were the original author for SAO, Sword Art Online, but they weren't angry. They were more confused on why their original work was published without their realization, and I had no idea how to deal with them, because probably they had either written this down or sent in something, but that thing they sent in got ignored. I did an internship at a publishing company at the end of my university career. And the publishing company I I interned at only did poetry. And we received 30 to 40 manuscripts of novels every single day. Because people don't think about what they're doing. They're just like, I'm going to like scattershot send it to everyone. This was pre- uh, internet really like I, I had the internet existed and stuff but if you were going to send a book you still sent a physical chapter with a cover letter and a self-addressed stamped envelope and all that other stuff with it so it would have been very easy for me let's say to pick up some of those stories and use those stories and create my own version that would then be my book and then am I stealing that story am I using it as inspiration am I using the tropes they use to create my own have I just not even read it, because half of them went straight to the garbage. Like, because we didn't publish novels, we didn't want to spend time looking at chapters of novels to give any sort of feedback to the author. So we often just sent a form letter back that said, this is not what we publish. Uh, but then if we had did come up with something similar to what they had sent in previously, the accusation that we'd stolen it would have been valid in some way. And so I thought then from an objective standpoint, it's surprisingly not that simple to prove that you are the creator, creative rights holder to your own work. Of course, you can register your copyright with the government, but that doesn't prove that you are the creative rights holder. So they're saying like you can register your brand or your characters, but that doesn't actually mean you came up with them. If someone started a lawsuit with me saying that SAO is a stolen artwork... I can show my 2002 homepage to easily testify to the history, but proving the work itself is original takes quite a bit of documentation and effort. If only there were some sort of certificate, like a patent is what I think sometimes, but if such a system existed, it would be misused in its own manner as well. But this sort of trouble seems like it'll only increase and not decrease. So I hope that there will be a measure, so I hope that there will be measures implemented in the future to reduce the amount of work and stress for creator, that's all. And as someone who, like, again, I do try to do my own original works. I uh, published a children's book a little while ago. I'm starting to work on Montana El Diablo too. I'm trying to do creative stuff. The idea that someone could come in and then accuse me of stealing it, even though I've never seen any of their ideas, is problematic because you do have to take the time to defend yourself. And this is someone like the creative director of a large franchise who works for a company, so everything's documented, everything's clearly legitimate, still has to have those thoughts. And the KyoAni thing where some guy just lost his mind and decided to commit violence towards other people because of this perceived slight, I mean, that is also something they probably have to worry about and you have to increase security. But since what we're talking about is original artworks, Please go to Amazon and get The Not Very Scary Monster by Peter Martin and you will uh, have at least 3 minutes of joy. <laughs> let's look at some of the artwork. I didn't do the art, the art by Christine Hall. It was very beautiful. You can see that on the cover. That's that's the character, me being me. The character's name is Doug. And let's just get all oh, probably one of my favorite pictures, The Monster Leader Ah, she did a great job with that. The monster leader is one sexy, sexy monster. Doug scared everybody in the city so well, the monster leader was impressed. Is that a spoiler? I don't know. You'll have to pick up the book to find out. Uh, Montana El Diablo (sighs) 2. I've written like four pages, five pages. It's more of a structural thing at the beginning when you do a choose your own adventure. So that might be... A year, if not longer, in the making, so that might be something to look forward to in 2025. I am currently planning over the winter vacation to transcribe the first Montana El Diablo and make a physical book that you could then hold and read. Uh, we'll see how that works out. but I have no idea how long that's going to take, so this is the problem with wanting to make 50 projects at the same time. It's never ending. What have I done lately? I just released a movie channel on YouTube. This is C. McBee IMDb. This is my latest project. There's actually three videos going to pop up there soon. Uh, basically, I'm watching old, primarily kung fu movies, but any sort of action movie or something from when? The 70s, 80s, 90s. And I'm making fun of them. So if that seems like it's up your way, feel free to take a look. Mm-hmm.